Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. With me today, I'm excited to have Steve Van Valen. I've shared with you that Consinity is so honored to have Culturology join our family. With Steve and his leadership leading our culture offerings, I am confident we are going to have a significant impact on organizations that desperately need our help guiding their teams to a healthy workplace of the future. So with that, Steve, just say a little hello for our guest. You've been on our podcast before. So just a quick shout out about yourself. And um, I've got uh, some questions for you based on the book that you just launched, which hopefully you can tell our listeners about briefly and give them a preview into that as well. Thanks. Hey, Jennifer. It's great to see you again. And uh, hello to everybody. So yeah, my name's Steve Van Valen. And uh, I, I guess, Jennifer, the easiest way to describe me is um, I'm a, a culture wonk, right? At least, you know, that maybe that's too lofty of a title, but I love people. I love seeing what motivates them. I love understanding how you can put that together as a as a manager, as a team, as an organization, you know, to create these environments that you described there and that sort of aspirational uh, statement that you made. I, that's what it's all about. And, you know, that that's what gives me meaning and fulfillment in my life and, and this practice that, uh, that I've been part of for, uh, I guess it's going on 25 years now, you know, working with people to help shape healthy, high-performance cultures. And uh, I love it. We're in a new realm right now, you know, at this sort of uh, post-COVID world uh, with its challenges. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the conversation we can have and uh, happy to share some things about the book as well. Well, that's great, Steve. We're so excited to have you as part of our team and we're thrilled with uh, all of the insights that you can bring. And congratulations on the publication of this incredible book, the search for meaning at work. Oh, yes, yours <laughs> truly has a copy. So part of what I was really interested to do today was just ask some questions and explore with you some of the content in this book. And I know that we are going to have a panel discussion in February. So we'll definitely make sure that um, folks know about that and they know where to find the links for that in our chat below. But let's just dive in here. I've, I I really enjoyed reading this book after getting to know you personally uh, over the last couple of years and actually applying some of these uh, activities at some of our clients and seeing the seeing the outputs of this. I think the the beauty of this book is it really speaks to the heart, what needs to change in business and organizations in order for them to thrive. And it also isn't just like an academic read. It's a book that brings some practical solutions. And I think sometimes the challenge that we're faced with today is that culture is so important. We all know it to be extremely important. Everybody has an experience where they've worked in a toxic environment and they have felt the impact of that. And they've worked in a positive environment and they felt the impact of that. Except it's sometimes really slippery to quantify and to really express to leaders the imperative for having a positive work culture. So I think the more that we can bring some real results for being intentional about building a positive work culture, 
And the more that we can bring some practical solutions and help it tie, tie it back to business results, the better opportunity we have to make an impact for organizations in the future. So that's my two cents. So I enjoyed the read. I highly recommend it for our listeners to go out and check it out. So I'm just going to dive in here. I First of all, I love how you organize the book. And I just wanted to get some insights from you on the organization of this book, because you do talk about the self, like amplifying purpose. And you talk about the self, the family, work. You go through some components that I think are kind of interesting. So do you mind just revealing a little bit about how this book is organized for our listeners to start? Yeah, and Jennifer, this is this is kind of one of the insights too that makes makes the organization of the book totally make sense, I I believe. But when it comes to purpose, people they must multitask in order to be fulfilled at work. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we put too much credence and stock in this, you know, one purpose idea, whether it's an organization or you in your life, like what's my purpose? I don't you don't just have one, you actually have many. And so what I did to create the the key model in the book, which is called Purpose Amplifies Meaning, I identified 11 different amplifiers of meaning, which play a part at work. So there's many different facets. And the good news for people and managers is that when you recognize that there's so many ways to actually clarify purpose for people, so that they get meaning from it, it opens up a whole treasure trove of creative possibilities on how we can lead and manage. The whole idea in the past of like, I have to manage people is actually shifted on its head to now thinking about creating the conditions for them to be successful. If we're able to do that, and I look at these 11 different amplifiers in these categories, then it's a sustainable strategy that gives them meaning and a, s- a sense of engagement in their work. So it sort of starts with self-satisfaction and it moves through the, all the things that are sort of really close to us in our lives, such as the work partner, the person that we work elbow to elbow with every day. Our family plays a key role that we're interacting with them multiple times a day. Like, how's your day going? The way they view our work and our relationship and how we feel at work impacts them tremendously. We're working to benefit our family. And yet a lot of times we don't take that in consideration in the corporate culture world. It feels like an untouchable, right? Then we move farther out in this sphere of the model that I created where we talk about the team that you work on. Obviously, huge impact. I get motivated by the team and the manager themselves. Like the manager we all work to please our manager. So if the manager has that empathy that I talked about earlier that um, makes a difference in their uh, experience, my gosh, that's a huge impact. And then we move farther out to department, to the, the company itself, and to the customer, thinking how we satisfy customers. We always want to keep them in mind. And then even how we benefit the community, world society, and in our own spirituality as well. So I know that that's the, that's the whole model, but the chapters in the book follow that sequence. And each one, I unpack sort of what it looks like for us and the opportunities. And I give them a playbook at the very end, sort of my greatest hit idea for how they can really take that one particular amplifier and, and turn turn the volume way up on it. 
I love that. And I appreciate how you've considered that holistic view because we are, I've been saying for the longest time, we are, we are humans that need to express our experience in the work and life that we're doing. Those two things are not able to fundamentally be separated, I think, because you do feel that sense of a, a sense of wanting to have fulfill a sense of purpose. And I'm thrilled to hear that we can have multiple purposes because I'm pretty sure that my puppy dogs would consider that my purpose is to make sure they're fed and taken out and ball tosses and all those good things. So, so great, um, great opening. I want to just talk a little bit about if I go to some of the concepts that you explore with regards to the emotional impact of progress and purpose. I think that's really a curious intersection. And there is a a neat little diagram in the book here for our listeners. But talk a little bit about how these are related. Yeah, that 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 model that you just showed there is a uh, quick little diagnostic tool that you can do both for yourself to find out like, well, am I feeling enough meaning at work? Like, what what am I missing? Or what do I need to, to do to get there? Or for people that you that report to you or your team, you can kind of figure out where they are within the relationship of, are they making progress? Do they feel stuck? Is there too much bureaucracy? Is there, are there things in the way? They would call them stupid rules, um, lack of communication. These are things that are, have been around evergreen, evergreen challenges. Do they see that or do they see their ability to have create wins sort of satisfy their own creative soul and doing work where they feel like, wow, I'm getting the most out of myself and my talent. So that relationship of progress or that scale, I should say, then put against the idea of, do I know why I'm doing it? Is that really clear to me? Like, how will I know if I actually make progress and have a win in my, uh, my work or my life? By identifying and getting tremendous clarity on it, it sets up the condition for you to recognize that you're making progress to it. Sometimes we make progress we don't even know until somebody r- recognizes that in ourselves. So that's part of like if you put those that X Y axes together of progress and s- having a sense of purpose in the work, then that dictates whether or not you have meaning. So progress towards purpose creates meaning, and. By the way, it's, I think it's important for the listeners to understand that that the genesis for that concept that I unpacked in the book came from Dr. Teresa Amabile from Harvard Business School. And she did, along with this amazing team at Harvard, what's considered to be the most in-depth study that's ever been done on what engages people sort of at the, at the grassroots level in the trenches. And her humongous epiphany of this three-year, she's the head of research at Harvard, and she would probably consider it the crown jewel of her discoveries, is that when people made progress in meaningful work, that's when they had the highest level of engagement, which translated into performance. We're not just talking about people being happy. We're talking about people being fulfilled and like getting stuff done. And we'll set another word that would be more appropriate there. But that's what we want. You know, if we're managers or leaders of our company or entrepreneurs or whoever you are, 
and you're trying to think like, well, how can I make my company or my team successful? Create those conditions for them. And they are naturally wired. This came right out of the research from Harvard, which blew me away that they are naturally wired to want to make progress. And if they do that, that's what opens up the floodgates of feeling like this work really has meaning to me. And it just, it builds this, it's a sustainable cultural condition. How's that? I love it. And there was a point in the early days of Consinity that I was thinking about calling it the GSD Consulting Group, which you can fill in the acronyms, but <laughs> get stuff done or some other <laughs> some other descriptor. So add that as a value, I think that that's <laughs> worthy of its own value. That is, that is, and we <laughs> might we may have to explore values on one of our upcoming uh, podcasts here and talk oh, to I our listeners it. about how at Consinity we've defined our own values and and how you really helped us um, bring some put the pin in some of those uh, values. So we'll we'll. Stay tuned. That's the teaser for an upcoming session, uh, audience. I also wanted to just explore a little bit with you the, you talk about, uh, the four zones of purpose. So, you know, you talk about interpersonal belonging, loyalty, altruism. So, you know, just, um, share a little bit more about how that feeds into these, the, the notion of the amplifiers that you talk about. Yeah, so I categorized the amplifiers based on sort of what that what I'd call the zone. And it, what it is, it's it's just a way to sort of help recognize or give our as managers or leaders a sense of awareness that there's some amplifiers that have like what I'd call intimacy related to them. In other words, the everyday transactional process of doing work that is in that first zone. And that involves the work partner and your family, I believe, but also your self-satisfaction. Is the work challenging and meaningful to you at the grassroots level, like the, the transactional things? Which is like that interpersonal level you're, you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And so that's where, I mean, that's the bread and butter things that people probably overlook. They They think they have to go up to the top of the mountain and talk to the you know, the, the wise person at the top or whatever to get this purpose. No, it comes from even daily hour to hour things. Again, getting S done actually gives us a sense of fulfillment, which is underrated. So that's in that first zone. Okay. So uh, what's the next one? Is that belonging? Belonging. Yep. Yeah. So belonging is like who, if somebody asks you like, well, who do you, where do you work or who do you work for? You mention them. Like that's what you belong to in your own little tribe. So that could be, you may feel the tribe more at your team level, or you may actually be a dual with a tribe with you and your manager, or it maybe the tribe feels more like the department, the distinct department that you're in. So we want to do things because, for them because it pleases them that we want to gain this sense of belonging. That's a little different, you know, a way of thinking about it, which again, gives us awareness to unlock creative choices. And then when we go to the next sphere, it's about loyalty, whether or not you feel like, wow, I I really enjoy benefiting this company. I see how my company actually advocates for me and I want to advocate back to my company. That's a sense of loyalty, that exchange and that give and take. 
And then the customer, which is a hugely underrated item that, that usually we think, oh, only the salespeople, the marketing people, customer service gets to talk to the customer. We, we need to take everyone in our organization, get them closer to who that customer is. They were inevitably serving and see how their work makes a difference in the outcome for them. That is humongous. It, it, there's so many things people can do for free. It's ridiculous, but they have to think creatively on how to make that contact. Adam Grant was all over this with incredible research on just the difference it can make to have one exchange with one person that you're trying to serve or sell to. And then the last one is, you know, this, this sense of, you know, giving it away, altruism, sense of love for others, like being of, in service of people. So that could be the community that you serve. You know, we're doing all kinds of things that help locally, whether it's the dog shelter or even volunteering to be a baseball coach or the, you know, the Girl Scout team or something at, at, at maybe at your church or whatever. Like we're, we're helping our community. And then at the next level, like what are we doing to benefit world society? And I love the fact that people are so much more interested in this now. Like, what's our carbon footprint? How are we benefiting? Are we green enough? You know, what are we doing to help the world in a sense? Is the action we take as a company, is it leaving a better footprint for others and a model for others, or is it taking away? And boy, you need an edge on that as a recruiting advantage, certainly. And then the last one is, and I'm including this, and probably a lot of people are afraid to touch it, but I... I think I did this in a, hopefully a respectful, all-inclusive way. I talked about spirituality because our spirits live at work and is greatly impacted by that. I, I, I think no matter what you sort of believe upstairs uh, or not, even if you don't, like you probably recognize that you're, as you, we all have this sort of spirit at work. And what can you do about it, though? Uh, you know, in terms of amplifying the meaning for that, I talk about that in the book about just being accepting of people and being interested and curious to them and recognizing that what good they're doing, because no matter what they believe, we want that affirmation and that gives them a sense of meaning, which leads to engagement, which leads to performance. And by the way, it's fun for us too. Yeah. It's fun for us too. Uh, Absolutely. And it is important, I think, to talk about the whole being and inclusive of the spirit being. Whatever your religious background or affiliation is or is not, there is something that is, I think, greater than just the individual, but also the individual is great in of itself. So well, you know what? Let me jump on that real quickly because I just want to give an example of this. Yeah, please do. Somebody who works in, like, let's say the Peace Corps or a missionary going over to a third world country, literally either one risking their life to go there, living maybe in dangerous conditions, no electricity, putting in wells for the village or establishing a food chain there somehow. They come back, even though that's the toughest work of their entire life, they'll come back and say it was the greatest experience they've ever had. Why? 
you know, this is kind of the question that poked me to say, I got to capture this for people and somehow help it bridge to how that might be relevant at work. And you may get some ideas from it uh, for yourself or others. Either way, I wanted to give it a shot. So I hope people enjoy that part of it. So I just wanted to share that. I appreciate that because I think what you're illuminating is you don't need to necessarily sign up for this type of an adventure, the Peace Corps or other, to connect to that sense of spirit and altruism and feeling that sense of fulfillment. You can still do that in the work that you're doing. And there are ways to address that. So I I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, my goodness. There is so much, so many places I could go. So I'm going to, um, I, I literally have like, 18 more sticky notes in my book, but I, go for it. <laughs> however, I know that we have other times where we can talk about this, but I do want to just, um, I think I was curious to hear you talk a little bit more about respect unlocks authenticity. I just think that's curious because I don't think you hear that talked about in, uh, often. I mean, we often talk about the importance of respect at work and, being authentic, but how does respect unlock authenticity? This is in chapter three for those of you following along out there. Yeah, this is a fun one because this one we really have to climb inside our own personal experience, maybe to confirm that, that respect unlocks, you know, authenticity. And what I, what I am parlaying here is this idea of psychological safety. And, you know, Google did the amazing Project Aristotle Aristotle study, I say that three times, um, which revealed that psychological safety was a number one performance factor for these high-performance teams at Google. And I don't think there was any accident in that, in that it had to be just at Google or like, this is so universal. If you really think about your own life and experience of when you were at your very best, I mean, totally kicking ass and performing that you probably had psychological safety. And what I mean by that, that you felt the respect from people enough, whether you did something stupid, said something dumb, blurted out a kooky idea for a problem that had nothing to do with it and got a laugh, right? That if you are respected enough to where you can do that and not have any fear, psychological safety or if you really made a mistake that was an error of uh, 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 omission, not commission, that they'd be like, hey, Steve, you can do a better job next time. And, and they tell me that, honestly, they respect me enough to do that, that that allows me to be myself, warts and all. That's authenticity, is to just feel like I can be that way. And that's where my strengths are going to come flying out the top of the volcano in the way I engage with people. When I have that sense of respect that leads to authenticity, that's when you'll hear me at my best or interact at my best. So that's really important. And also in the relationship that I have with those people, holy crap, that's so galvanizing. Uh, you know, because I'm going to be that way to them. And, you know, it's not, you can't just have one person feeling that way. It's always the other person, person or persons too. So that's really cool. 
I love that. And, you know, building on that trust, also in chapter three, by the way, I like when you talk about autonomy and trust. And I love this line in here where you talk about, in short, we must extend trust because it will usually be returned. So, you know, just thinking about that and thinking about our own behavior and organization, we know when something doesn't feel right. And if somebody's telling us something that isn't consistent with what we think they're really feeling, there's an undercurrent there that I think can, over time, be disruptive and can erode trust on teams. So um, I think it's, you also talk about some of the very practical steps to help build trust using autonomy. So things like having your teams, if they're working at home, giving them some flexibility with their schedule, looking at more of the outcomes. So that, you know, I'm just, there's a lot of examples in here, but I'm just trying to illuminate for people that this isn't a book just about talk track about, you know, here's how you need to feel good and empowered (laughs) in your, in a sense of fulfillment and purpose. There's some real specific steps that you suggest or actions that you suggest to help nurture that sense of respect in the workplace, nurture trust, etc. So less of a question, more of just a little promo for you. I wanted to do that purposely because I've been in this business long enough where I could say it's really fun to hear the philosophy and, you know, what somebody has, you know, found as enlightenment for themselves. But it's really extra cool when they can actually say, well, here's what you should do about it. Or you yourself have figured that out. And I always want to have the rubber meet the road with these lofty concepts and all. And that's the creative challenge back to me. That's what I did in the the book. I, I challenged myself to say, well, based on all the things I've seen, you know, over 25 plus years, like, here's how you can take those kind of things and actually make them actionable. So it's a book of ideas that are actionable, really, if I had to summarize it in one blip. That is why we got along so well, because you and I are firm believers of let's take our experience and challenge ourselves to think about how we can offer this as a solution for others to follow so that it's something that uh, we get benefit out of seeing others be able to use that and get some benefit out of using that experience that we we both have um, in our past. So there are a couple other questions here that I wanted to bring up. I I want to bring up this notion, two notions here you talk about in chapter six, teamwork begins with belonging. So maybe you could just talk, you know, say a little bit more about that. Why is that important? It goes back I, to the idea of psychological safety to a, a certain extent where people feel like they're ex, they're accepted no matter what. And if you think about even the four stages of team development, you know, you, you start with forming, then you get to this critical stage where you're actually storming, you're having some arguments and disagreements, and um, and, and then you get to, um, you know, performing. And, and so, you know, going through that, the idea of being able to accelerate that, if people feel like they're, they're, they belong to that tribe, you know, to up ramp that experience to accelerate it 
so that, that they don't have to wait for months or maybe when you get to that storming stage, they go, I, I don't like these people. They're, you know, they're rude, they're harsh, they're, this isn't a place for me. That's the way they might treat those sort of statements if they don't feel like they belong. But if they belong, then they look at it like, wow, this is an amazing place to grow myself. And there's sort of this radical candor idea within this team that, that I can get honest feedback to want to grow. Some people don't ever want that. Those are people we probably don't want on our team. But the high performer, I've never met a high performer yet who didn't have a curiosity for how they were coming across, how they could improve. And they they had the wisdom to recognize the smart people, you know, people like you that I've enjoyed working with so much over the past couple of years to be able to ask the question, you know, because we belong, you know. And so um, hopefully that answers the question, but that relationship opens up that dialogue of opportunity. I like how you describe. So I think it's interesting for people who might be listening to this and leaders who are thinking, how do I how do I kind of intentionally assess where we are with our culture? And I think the culture narrative framework helps people just be able to put into buckets what is important or what makes up your culture is this notion of the culture narrative framework. Do, 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 do. This is on page 158, readers of chapter nine. So uh, maybe you can just say a little bit about that for, for folks. Yeah, so that is a methodology that I've used probably with over 20 companies to help articulate what their culture is all about. And I call them leading principles. It's sort of a you know double entendre in a way. But if we lead with this, these principles, you know, they are leading principles. So um, it starts with the questions that we can ask to help understand what our culture is all about. So there's five W's and an H. And so the progression is this. Now think about you and your culture and how value, how clear is this for you and your organization? Because this hope, this is meant to help clarify it for people. So who you are is your brand. Do people really know and understand that, which translates right to that customer experience that everyone is desirous of, you know, everyone wants to create a great customer experience. Do people understand that? So that is the who, who you are. So why, why you do what you do is your purpose. That is to do what, you know, to achieve what? It always links back to the brand. The bigger purpose of your company is always to have this relationship with customers so that you can perpetuate the success of your company. And guess what? I'm part of that. So I have a, I have a stake in the game. Everyone should see that they have a stake in the game. Great companies see that everyone has a stake in the game of driving the brand. Where you're going, that's the other W, is your vision. What does the end look like? Where are you headed? And if you can identify that, that there's so many great examples of how that works together with your purpose. And uh, they, they actually work in total harmony and synergy. Your values are your how. That's how you work. That's how you work together. That's how you do things when people aren't watching, by the way. These are deeply held values that 
are in a way like guideposts for decision making and the things that you want to replicate that give you a return on investment. And then I, you know, people always use mission statement and I'm not the semantics police here, but missions, there's not really one mission for a company that would be more like your purpose. I think missions are your, your huge honking initiatives that you must do this year. And it's usually a one to two year time frame. Those are your missions. They usually have a, th- those answer the what and the when. What are we going to do to make all this other stuff come to life? What are we going to do? And when are we going to get it done? We're going to land a moon on man on the moon by the end of this decade and return them safely to the earth, right? That was, that's, that's a mission because it has a timestamp to it. And we all have, have those. And it, again, it's helping to drive the brand inevitably. So I don't, I know I, went off of there on a big description of it, but for people, whether you're an entrepreneur, just starting your business or a cultural influencer in your organization, you can do this for your team, by the way. It doesn't even have to be for the organization if you feel like you can't influence at that level. And you'll have total clarity on those five W's and the H in your organization. I love it. And I'm I'm going to add, we're going to have to get into the values and fundamentals in, an, in another session that we'll do, because I think it would be fun to talk about the process that Consinity went through to define those values and fundamentals and share those with the audience so they can get a sense for what does that mean. But I, I do think it would be good to impart with our audience that it's uh, if you are an established organization with a, a, a lengthy history this is not intended to be specifically for a, an earlier organization or uh, an organization in trouble. There's an opportunity to really reflect as a more mature organization too. Where are you vis-a-vis um, where you want to be? Because I think you've talked about this notion of current values versus uh, ambitious values, if you will. So maybe just say a little bit more about how more established organizations that have a long history or, or are, you know, maybe very large and think, oh, well, we don't really need to address our culture. I have a strong opinion about that, but I'm going to let you speak first. <laughs> well, first of all, if you're an established company, congratulations. You have made it this far and there's something magnificent to celebrate. And I'm being serious because when you think about where you are now, you it's a delicate balance between celebrating what got you here that maybe it was an incredible vision or purpose that you had originally or a set of values. But now, especially post pandemic, you have to ask yourself, what do we need now? How can I take the things that made me great in the beginning, leverage them, maybe add some other elements to that, some enhancements to take me to the next level and re sort of reboot your culture to say, we are now newly committed to this. A culture and Jennifer, you know, I'm a, a gardener, landscape uh, a geek, but that's his side hustle. Everybody horticultural <laughs> specialist. If you need some yeah. uh, <laughs> input um, on landscape where, design, <laughs> that is my side hustle for sure. But a culture is like a garden. You can plant it and plant it and hope to harvest some great results. And if you're an established company, maybe you, maybe you did that, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. 
but you always need to take care of your garden. You need to replant, you need to prune, you need to take care of the pests. You need to be conscious of where you are to recharge that soil. So that's maybe where you, what you need to think about now. And it's a wonderful opportunity to tell the new story while celebrating the old. I think it would be foolish to, to lose that part of it. So I, I don't know if that helps, but like uh, strategically, that's the way I would approach going to a, uh, an established company, you know, with a culture strategy in mind is just thinking we got to do both. I love that. And, you know, very practically, this shows up time and time again in M&A. I've seen it over and over again um, where there is potentially a disconnect in what's happening culturally either in the existing environment or with the integration of a new entity into an organization that can be quite disruptive or on the converse could be really um, unlock the magic of those organizations coming together if you're intentional about how you address some of the cultural pieces that matter to you and the entity going forward. So, all right, well, we are just about out of time. And as you know, I could go on and on and on about this subject, but maybe if you could think about the top takeaways for our listeners and um, I'll, you know, just put a plug in for our listeners that we will be announcing a panel uh, event coming up in February. So stay tuned. But if you could just maybe give some takeaways that might be the teasers for folks that are listening in today that will make them want to run, run out right away and buy your book. It's on Amazon, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I, I shared a couple of the major insights there about the relationship between progress and meaning and understanding that and the multitask nature that we need to be fulfilled, how we, we need more than one purpose, and we have that. But I would say, like, if you are really looking to be an influencer yourself or you're looking like you're in charge of your organization and their culture and the way people operate at your team level or big, doesn't matter. Here are two attributes based on the research that I've done and captured in this book that you actually need to be successful at being a what I'd call a meaning maker, somebody who's able to do this very well. Number one attribute is empathy humongous part of emotional intelligence, but there are ways of growing our emotional intelligence, specifically on empathy, that makes an enormous difference in being able to recognize where people are with purpose and meaning in their life, to simply do things like listen deeply. How do we do that? We Everyone sucks at this, by the way, myself included, and it hasn't gotten any better since since pandemic time. Empathy is actually one of the things that they've measured that's gone down the most. All right, we are that I consider that a crisis of empathy in a sense. That's it has to always go up. So, empathy, things like listening, things like appreciating others, recognizing, catching them doing things right, that will pull the empathy together. The other attribute may surprise people because these are what is required to, to amplify meaning. It's actually collaborative problem solving. And here's why. If we can work with people and they recognize that our we look at them and our role is them making progress, of them being able to unlock and do things and get things done, they will look at us as an advocate. And that is deeply meaningful. And when you think about 
great bosses that you've ever worked with, they were probably your advocate. You have, so you have to be a great problem solver collaboratively with them to be able to get that title. That's worthy title. And the other, and this is, sounds very prescriptive. It almost sounds, you know, boring or something, but you have to learn how to run meetings effectively because that's the synapses of the communication in which you kind of have the most influence. And we, all the research shows that people are so frustrated and, you know, we have Zoom gloom and everything else that's going on. If you can run in a tight, effective meeting and put meaning into, into the meeting, then you will be a difference maker in your organization. So that's one big thing. Those are the attributes. I guess the last thing I would say is um, I realized my, my, my own epiphany on, on this work is that the surest way to experience meaning in life and I think Viktor Frankl, Dr. Viktor Frankl would agree with this. The surest way to experience meaning in our life is actually by giving it away. He witnessed that in the most horrid situations that you could ever, a human being would ever not want to find themselves. And I see it in work too. We in the service of others. If you're a manager and you're frustrated, you're pulling your hair out about working with these people like that don't seem to get it. <laughs> the surest way we can recharge ourselves and give our, whatever level you're at, if you're the chairman of the board, you feel the same way. That's the other thing. This is universal from a person in their first job to the executive at the top. If we give meaning away, that's the most sure way we can feel meaning. So, how do you do that? You're going to have to read the book or talk to me to find out the whole story. I think I shared a few of those things, but yes. that's the exciting part. That's the exciting part. And you can learn a lot from the book. And there, as I said, there's some real, you complement exactly what you said with some very specific exercises or ways to do that with your team. And by the way, change is constant, but business needs stability too. So how can you blend the two? Sometimes your business may need a customized approach that I'm not able to provide in a 30-minute episode, and that's where my team at Consinity can jump in and help. After decades of experience, myself and my colleagues can help organizations develop strategies and plans to navigate difficult and ambiguous times, all while nurturing a healthy workplace culture. You know your organizational goals allow us to help you accelerate and realize the outcomes that you desire in a positive and sustainable way. For more information about our team and our services, visit us at consinityus.com today. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. It's uh, been great to catch up and just have an opportunity to interrogate you first before the panels, <laughs> before the panel discussion. And I really value the the time that you took to just explain some of those concepts for folks. I think we are at a critical time where people desperately need to hear uh, that there's a way to actually create a really positive and healthy work culture so that we don't actually have to live feeling miserable about work. It shouldn't be that way. It should be an experience, a joy, a journey. We're all in it together. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. 
Thank you, everyone, for joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive.